grateful that we have this opportunity to gather uh, together in person this morning and also for those of you who are joining us online as we continue our look at the book of Acts. Um, we just got back, my family and I just got back from uh, a week away up at Acadia National Park where we did a lot of hiking. Um, if you've never been up that way, I would highly recommend it. And, and on these hikes, um, found myself uh, taking a, a lot of breaks, especially those that had the steeper incline as I know this comes as a shock to most of you. Uh, I am in not the best physical shape. Um, it, it was interesting because the indicator of that was the fact that I'd be walking and I'm like, who's breathing so hard? And then I realized it's me. Like, what is that noise that I'm making? Um, but there's a couple other reasons why we would pause on these hikes. One, one of the reasons that we would pause is we would get to these incredible overlooks and we would be able to see the bay or, or have a view of the forest or the mountains, whatever it was, and we would stop. And it would kind of like that pause would kind of be our reminder as to why we were on the hike in the first place. The, the second one is occasionally you would kind of look back, you would pause, and you would look back down the trail to kind of see where you had been. And this morning what I want to do is kind of pause a little bit up front and kind of do the same kind of thing with where we are this morning. I, I want to first pause and take the overall look as to why we're in the study that we're in. We've been in this look of the book of Acts, which is one of the books that you find in the New Testament. If you are new or newer with us and you don't have uh, one of these journals, I would just invite you to grab one. They're under the seat in front of you. This you can keep. Um, there's a place you can take notes if you want to, or just have this as a gift um, so you can follow along. But we've been in this look at the book of Acts for all of this year. We've called this Origins because it's really kind of a story that was written by this Jesus follower named Luke that tracks the beginning of the church. And it's really important, I think, sometimes to look and see where we came from. Like, what is this all about? And perhaps more than ever in the time that we find ourselves, the church finds itself today, this is super important. I mean, I think that the big C American church has really kind of missed the boat in a lot of areas. And, and honestly, even we're not immune from that ourselves. Let me just share with you a few things that I think that we see today. As, as the church, the Big C Church, we become divided and divisive. Churches, church leaders, individuals, individuals have aligned themselves with a political party or a particular agenda at the expense of relationship. We become known more for what we're against than what we are for, and sometimes even perceived as hating other people rather than loving others. We, we've become consumers seeking comfort and convenience and, and preference over mission and truth. There, there are churches that have sacrificed the gospel for opinion where it's either become this legalistic version of religion or it's become this permissive just do whatever feels right perspective or it's Everything God wants to give you, he wants to give you so you can be healthy and wealthy. And we've forgotten our first love and the mission to who Jesus has called us 
to be and what he's called us to do. And, and our hope and our prayer with this look at the book of Acts, this journey through Acts, is that it would be so much more than just the study of the history of the church, that it would remind us and it would refocus us, it would inspire us, and it would teach us and move us to become who God has called us to become as a community and as individuals. It would remind us again of this gospel message of what Jesus has done for us. And, and, and I know we talk about this every week, but there's a reason why we do it. It's because simply this, we need to be, re, I need to be reminded of this every week, every day. I need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for me. And, and here's why. Because I don't know who's here this morning. I don't know if you've heard this or not. I don't know what version of this you've heard or not, whether you're joining us online or you're here in person. But I know this too. I know this for those of us who have been a part of this for a long time. We need that reminder because here's the deal. I know myself. I'm going to drive down Pentecost and someone's going to cut me off and I'm going to forget the gospel. Or, or I'm going to open up some kind of a social media thing and I'm going to scroll through there and I'm going to see something that's going to really tick me off and I'm going to forget the gospel. Or, or I'm going to drive by the Shell station here on Post Road and see that gas is almost five bucks a gallon and I'm going to forget the gospel. Because the gospel reminds us who we are and who everyone else is, that we were valued enough that, that, that Jesus died for us. That he died for everyone. That we don't place our hope and our fear in how good things are financially or how poor things are. Like, that's what the gospel continues to send to remind us. And this is what the gospel message is, that, that all of us, every single one of us was lost and broken and hopeless. That we were separated from God because of our sin. And, and there was no hope, there was no way for us to save ourselves. We were dead. And God himself in the person of Jesus came in the form of a man and he lived a sinful, sinless life and he willingly went to a cross to die for us, to pay the price for our sin that we could not pay. And then he rose from the grave, thereby conquering both death and sin and because of this now we have this amazing opportunity to be reconciled back to a relationship with God all we have to do is believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was that he is the Messiah that he is the Christ he is the son of the living God and that he has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves that he paid our price paid the price it's nothing that we earn it's nothing that we can deserve and all we have to do is put our faith in him. And putting our faith in him basically means this. It means that our lives are now defined and shaped by him. We surrender to him. We, we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price, the price of his blood. And we are no longer defined by our sin. And we're no longer defined by our circumstances. We are now defined, our identity is found in him. We are his son. We are sons and daughters of God. And there is this amazing and incredible transformation that begins in your life. It takes place in your life, it takes place in my life, that we 
be it to become more and more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit in us does. It begins to shape us to be more like Jesus. It continues to point us, to remind us of what Jesus has done and who he is. And it begins to shape us to be more like him. And we get to enjoy now this amazing, restored relationship with God. And as we start this new series this morning called Scattered Church, we're going to pause also and kind of look back at to where we have been so far in the book of Acts because this same Jesus who died for us and rose again, he appeared to hundreds of people over a period of about 40 days. And in his very last appearance on the earth to his closest followers, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. And they had no clue what, that, what he meant. He had, they had no clue how much time it was going to take. They just listened and obeyed. And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's a purpose for this, that you will then become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the world. Like, that's going to be your purpose and mission. Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to share all about who I am. You're going to share this good news that I've just told you about this morning. And, and they obey, and about 10 days later, as they were sitting in this room, the Spirit comes, and the Spirit comes in such a way that it draws this incredible crowd, and the timing of this is such that Jews from all over the world happen to be in Jerusalem, happen to be in Jerusalem at the same time. And they hear this good news that we just shared preached to them by this man named Peter, and they also hear it in each of their languages. Like, this is incredible, and this is remarkable. And thousands of people respond and say yes. And the church is kind of born at that point. This, follow, this movement of Jesus followers is born. And, and, and that we see that they have all of this unity together, that they, they spend time together in each other's homes, and they share meals together, and they pray together, and they worship together, and they talk about Jesus together, and they share everything that they have together. Sounds pretty cool. And this movement of Jesus followers is no longer defined by some sort of ethnicity, but it's defined by an identity that's found in Jesus. And, and then in this past series, we see that there are efforts that are brought to try to eat, at least slow down this movement because thousands of people continue to join this group of Jesus followers. And the religious leaders of that time, the Jewish religious leaders, they hate what's going on. And they try to warn the leaders, they, they, they imprison the leaders, they, try, they beat the leaders, but every time they try something, the church just continues to grow. And, and then there are threats that we saw that happened even from within, that there were a couple of people who stood up and said, you know what, I'm better, I'm, I'm going to project this image of being something that I'm not. And God dealt with that pretty quick. And, and then... You know, just, just a, a little bit, a couple weeks ago, we saw the fact that even there was this threat of division in this new group of Jesus followers where one group of people felt like they were being slighted by the leadership as far as how things were being distributed, the resources that they so desperately need. And the leaders stepped up and they said, you know what, we need to focus on, on continuing to preach the word and we're going to appoint seven men that will oversee the distribution of food. And the church continued to grow. And then last week we focused in on what I would consider probably the biggest effort by this group of religious leaders to stop this growth. And that was this man named Stephen, who was one of the seven that were appointed as leadership. And Stephen was brought before the council, 
And as he was sharing about who Jesus was, what, who Jesus is and what he had done for them, this group of leaders dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And we're also introduced to this leader that's a part of this group named Saul, who then begins to go from house to house and imprisoning the men and women in those houses who profess Jesus as Lord. I mean, that's kind of what we see happening. And from that place, the church, the, all those who had gathered in the city of Jerusalem just basically scatter into the countryside. They go into Jerusalem and Samaria, and that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Page 46 of your travel journal, or, or your Acts journal if you're following along. Now those who were scattered, this group of believers who went out into Judea and into Samaria, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. So we're going to focus in on another one of these seven men that were appointed to distribute food and resources to those in need. This man named Philip, and he goes to Samaria. And I want to pause here because I want to point out something that you may not be aware of when it comes to Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans, those who lived in Samaria, had this really interesting relationship that they didn't really have a relationship. I mean, they literally hated one another. The Jews especially hated the Samaritans because they believed that the Samaritans were sellouts. They believed that they were compromisers. And they wouldn't fellowship with them. They wouldn't associate with them. In fact, they hated them so much that even though Samaria would have been a convenient place to walk through when it came to going from the south to the north in, in Israel, they would avoid it and walk around it. That's how much they despise this group of people. And yet we see the very first place that the good news, the gospel is brought outside of Jerusalem is Samaria. What, what, what does this say to us? Like, how does this connect with us today? But let's be honest this morning. Every single one of us has Samaritans in our lives. Every one of us has a Samaritan or Samaritans in our lives. I mean, the, these are the people that we don't really get along with. They may be family members. They may be friends or work associates or whatever. There's, there's a group of people that we don't line up with, that we don't like, that we even, maybe we could use the word, hey, they're the people that we've unfriended. They're the people that we can't stand to be around. And what we need to hear in this message of, of the gospel first coming to the Samaritans is this, is that Jesus loves, cares for, and died for those that we can't get along with. Those we cannot stand to be around. And as people who follow him, something should shift in us. And the question is this, does the way someone looks or acts or thinks or believes keep you from loving them enough to be Jesus to them. Verse 6. And the crowds with one accord, these are the crowds in Samaria, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, in other words, demons, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was much joy in the city. So 
Here's Philip, full of the Spirit. Again, this is not Philip doing this. This is the Holy Spirit in Philip doing these things, these amazing things, healing people, casting out demons, and preaching the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And the response of the people is joy. And that should be our response as well to who Jesus is and what he has done. Again, that constant reminder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. It's kind of a weird name. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now hear this. When it says that they had amazed, they, he'd entertained them. Like he was their entertainment. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And here Luke introduces us to another person, this man named Simon. He's kind of the David Blaine or Chris Angel of Samaria. I mean, he possessed some sort of a magical ability. I think it was more than just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And he had created this following, like this name for himself. Like he had become famous. And he was an important person in this city, and he had, he had made himself kind of like Simon the Great. <laughs> and then the people hear about Jesus. And the people go from following Simon to following Jesus, including Simon himself. And, I mean, it says that basically he became kind of a disciple of Philip, he just follows Philip around, learning from him, watching him, seeing him do all these amazing things, watching the Holy Spirit do, do what the Holy Spirit does. I think today that everyone is looking for a Savior. I mean, I think their first, this city's first Savior was Simon. I think they found not just entertainment in him, they found something of hope in him as well. Every one of us is looking for a savior and sometimes our search for a savior is from within like we look for a savior within ourselves we we want to get that we want to have the best version of ourselves we want to get healthy we want to be happy we want to become smarter we want to dress better we want to look good and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with being healthy and being smart and looking good and being happy. I mean, there's nothing wrong in all those things, but, but that becomes the main thing. If that consumes us, if that becomes our focus, if that becomes our source of, like, happiness and joy, then we're going to be very, very disappointed. Sometimes it's not within ourselves. Sometimes it's in others. We look for a Savior in others, and maybe... We look for a savior in some sort of a political figure or maybe we look for a savior in a spouse or a significant other or some sort of other relationship or, or even sometimes we try to find a savior in a church leader, a pastor. Please don't do that. 
And sometimes we try to find our Savior in our circumstance. Like maybe it's related to something with family or desire for family or maybe it's something, a desire for something bigger and better, fill in the blank. Maybe it's in a new job or promotion or financial security or success. Maybe it's if I can just get through blank. And maybe this is where you find yourself this morning. You've been looking for a Savior in all the wrong places. And just like these Samaritans, time, it's, it's time to shift our focus of the things we try to find our hope and salvation in, which can never bear the weight of our hope, and put them only on the one who can give us hope and life, and that's Jesus. Chapter, or verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, two of the church leaders, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of thoughts and theories as to why this is kind of a weird like aside as to how all of this happened. Let, let me just say this. I know at the beginning of this study we said this, and I want to re reiterate it right now. There are portions of Acts, and there's actually even portions of Scripture that are prescriptive. They're, really, they're, they're designed to tell us how we are supposed to live and what we are supposed to do. And there are portions of Scripture, and specifically Acts, that are descriptive. They just simply describe what happened in that time and at that place. And this is one of those descriptive passages. And I know that there's been churches and groups that have taken and said, you can only receive the Holy Spirit if people lay hands on you and you receive. That's not what's going on here. And I don't know exactly what's going on here, but perhaps it's just as simple as this. That with this group, this is the first time that this gospel, the good news, that a group of people outside of the Jewish people have actually received Jesus. Like, this is the first time. Because the Samaritans were not considered to be Jews. And maybe this was a sign, not so much for the Samaritans, but for, the Jewish, for the, the Jewish, this Jewish group of Jesus followers, that this was for real. That this is God moving and working. But the most important thing to walk away with this is this. The Holy Spirit, who is God, is not controlled or conf confined by how we think he should work. Period. He's God. He's not going to be put in a box. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, <laughs> saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the, in the gall, gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that none of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified 
and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And, and there's a lot of debate around this, like, this passage. Like, what's, what's going on here? Like, what, what's, what's, what's up with Simon? Like, I thought he had believed and was baptized, and, and now this comes up, and now it seems like, you know, he's kind of out. You know, what is this? You know, was it, was it just a fake thing? And, and you can kind of get, understand why people may have that perspective. I mean, when he's first introduced, he'd made a name for himself. He was all about himself. You know, was it really a transformation that took place? Was there a change? And, and, and just personally on this, I, I think that there was. I mean, I think there's a couple indicators. One is just his response to Peter, the fact that he's like, whoa, wait a second, back the train up. I didn't really mean that. Pray for me. I, I you know... The second is this, like at the very beginning when he's introduced in verse 9, it says, Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city. There was some sort of change with Simon. But, but here, here's the bottom line of this this morning for us, like this last section. What Jesus has done for us, this amazing gift of his Holy Spirit in us, it is completely free. You, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's simply given to you. All, all you can do, all you can do is accept it. it. It is a gift. It is a beautiful, incredible, and unimaginable gift to have God's presence in you. Just a final observation. From this section. Did you notice how this section that we've read this morning, how it begins and how it ends? Like verse four, it says, Now those who are scattered, this is the this is the you know the group of Jesus followers, not the church leaders, it's the group of Jesus followers. Now those now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's how it starts. Everywhere they go, they're just telling people about Jesus. And it ends. The same way, verse 25, except it's talking about Peter and John this time. They returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This passage starts and ends with people just talking about who Jesus is and what he's done. They're just sharing the good news. And here's the thing. If you are a Jesus follower, this is our calling as well. Like, this is what we're called to. This is the mission that God has called us on is just to share who Jesus is and what he's done. Let me, let me just share with you this. You may assume, because I stand up here on this stage, and, and, I, and I, I, I teach that this is something that comes easy or natural for me. It does not. It just doesn't. And I've thought about why that is. It's not because I'm ashamed of it. It's because sometimes it just becomes, it gets in my head, and I think, man, you know, if I get, like, someone doesn't listen to this, it, it you know, it reflects on me. Like, if I would just, like, brutally honest, like, I don't want people not to like me, you know? What if, what if I say the wrong thing, you know? All of those kinds of things. Uh, hear me, I, I understand that. I wrestle with that myself. But, but here's the thing. This is what we are called to do. Like, this is, this is the mission that we've all been called to do. It's not just for a select group of people. It's everyone has been called to share this. And it's not an issue of standing on the corner yelling at people, you know, telling people how bad they are. It's not like you turn or burn. 
you know, kind of a message. It's not like hitting people over the head with a Bible and you should do, you know, no. It's simply telling people what Jesus has done for you. That's what it is. It's sharing your story. Like, I was this way before Jesus and because of Jesus, now I'm this. Like, that's sharing the good news of what Jesus has done and it's your story that you can share with others. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have the best news ever to share with people. I mean, there is hope and there is life because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Father, you're awesome. Father, you're, you are amazing. And, and Father, we need you. We need you to continue to lead us, to continue to shape us, to be more like Jesus. And Father, I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for an opportunity this week for each person who is hearing, who's listening to this today, to be able to share their story. Or Father, if there's not a story yet, I pray for an opportunity for them to become, to know who you are through Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.